This is the Shelter Island Reporter Podcast. I'm Susan Carey Dempsey. In the spring of 2018, Canon Paul Wankura died of injuries inflicted in a home invasion on Shelter Island. The crime, which has not been solved, took a heavy toll on his close friend and on the residents who felt the island had lost its innocence. I'm speaking with Father Charles McCarran, the rector of St. Mary's Church on Shelter Island. He's well known to Islanders. Uh, you're very welcome here today. Thanks for coming in to talk to us. As you know, uh, we're going to be talking about your friend, your dear friend, uh, the late uh, Canon Paul Wankura. The reason he's uh, well known and being talked about lately is that it's uh, now sadly two years since he passed away. And that was uh, as a result of injuries from a home invasion. Can you tell me, just tell me about your friend. Tell me uh, something about him, because I, I never met him. He has a very impressive biography. Well, I never really got to meet Paul. Uh, in my work in the diocese prior to coming to St. Mary's, uh, I had heard of him because he was a very strong presence in the diocese when he was active. Uh, he had been the archdeacon of Suffolk County, which in the Episcopal Church would be uh, kind of like the Episcopal vicar in uh, the Roman Church. So he was the bishop's representative for all the parishes in Suffolk County for about 10 years before he became the rector of the Caroline Church in Setauket. Uh, so I'd certainly heard Paul's name, but I didn't get to know him till about five years ago when I landed on Shelter Island. And then I got to know him as a real character. Uh, great sense of humor. Uh, someone who really loved life and enjoyed life, uh, whether it was a game of tennis or his daily trips to the gym or a good drink of scotch. Ah, <laughs> so he was a, a he liked a good life. He was an active man and right. he liked the good things life had to offer. Yes. So I knew uh, one time I went to visit him just to, to have a visit and uh, I knew... Uh, he loved to eat, and he loved food. That was always a joke in the churches, that when Paul would go to a church event, he would leave with a bag of leftovers and everything. He would be <laughs> collecting all this food. His little doggy bag. So I, I went to uh, his house. I knew I had to bring him something and something for Paul, so I brought foie gras and... Uh, Oh my. Toast, because that would, he would love, I knew he would love that. So I showed up just in jeans and a sweatshirt. And when Paul opened the door, he was in brass button, double breasted blazer with an ascot. Oh. <laughs> and that was Paul. Wow. That was the kind of guy he was. Wow. Yeah. Very formal, very. Very formal, elegant. very elegant, well okay. put together. Yeah. Yeah. Very good, good. And someone devoted to the church and his life as a priest. Yeah. So when he wasn't, and you know, at his age, 87, he was still every Sunday going out to churches where maybe they were short of priest mm -hmm. or somebody was he on really needed so, his help, yeah. Uh, when he wasn't, he'd come to St. Mary's for services, mm -hmm. and he'd always grab me after the service at our social, uh, 
to get all the latest stories, gossips, what's going on in the diocese, what's happening, mm -hmm. uh, pumping, pumping me for information. Yeah. <laughs> He kept up, he kept up a lively conversation. He I did. Bet. He was a great he was great company. Yeah, yeah. he was. Yeah. yeah. And so um, he was, as you say, he was strong and active. He was an older man, but uh, very much independent. So it was an unusual circumstance that you needed to check on him. Right. He, uh, he was a kind of an older person who would almost resent if he thought people were. <laughs> checking on him right because right. he's very much his own person uh the fact that at that point he was still driving to central islip every sunday morning wow an hour and a half i had actually talked to him said you know paul maybe you should you know send up a thing to the diocese if they have a plan b because at your age driving if the weather's bad or in the winter oh, and yeah. he was like well you know they need me. I don't know. I'll I'll go. I'll go. So uh, yeah, no. If he thought I was just calling to to say, so Paul, how are you doing, or mm -hmm. just checking up, or how? No, he wouldn't have. He wouldn't go for that. He wouldn't go for that. So on the day that you went to look for him, uh, he hadn't shown up for the service, which he would never miss. So you did go to see if maybe something had happened, he had fallen ill. Yes, it, it was a Monday, which is normally is my day off. So I was just coming back from the beach with my dogs and I'd stopped at the mail, uh, the post office when my secretary called me and said she'd gotten a call from the church and that he hadn't shown up. So I said, well, I'm just gonna drop my dogs off and I'll go right over to his house Again, fully expecting mm -hmm. something happened to him. Uh, I went into the house and started calling his name. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty big, sprawling house, for the most part on one floor. And from the back or the area of the house, uh, I heard him calling help, help. Oh, so he was able he to He was speak. conscious. Wow, I didn't realize that. But he had been... Uh, you know, there's all kinds of estimates how long he oh, might have been there. Right. Uh, certainly dehydrated. Yeah. And of course. So, I looking back on it, and after you know interacting with him, once I got into the room and saw him. Yeah. I was surprised now at how clear he said, "Help me." Yes. Because he really, his mouth was so dry. He must have been so weak. He was. It was just hard to talk. Right. Right. So, um, and then right away I I called uh, 911 yeah. to, to get them to yeah. come over. And then did they have to airlift him? They did. They decided. And it really, he was in such bad shape that uh, I when I spoke to them, they said, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, so I said... Well, I'm going to draw, I'll drive over to Stony. I'll go to Stony mm -hmm. Brook. And uh, my secretary hadn't heard the helicopter take off. So she said, well, maybe they didn't go. So I said, well, I'm going to drive. Oh. Call me. Right. As I'm, I'm going to start heading towards Stony Brook. So when I got there, uh, I met with the detectives. 
Okay. In the emergency so they, room. Yeah. They had already arrived. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I imagine they really thought the worst at, at that point, but he did make somewhat of a recovery for the next few weeks, maybe. He did. He did seem to be on the mend and seemed to be doing better. Mm -hmm. uh, when I went to visit him, he was very much with it in terms of, I guess, as often happens with people when they're older, when they've had an experience like that, he very... His long-term memory was much better right. in, in discussing. Right. So he talked to me about St. Mary's, which is where he met his wife, and mm -hmm. of her interactions at St. Mary's, and was joking about things at St. Mary's. So yes, he very much yeah. was engaged. Um, yes, and visited with several people. Yeah, yeah, over the course of those weeks. Right, right. Uh, but then it's i now i don't recall if it was sepsis or what happened at the end but then he crashed one night at the end, the end even yeah. though people had started making plans right. for what would the next step be for him yeah so there was hope that he that. would get so yeah, get it out looked like he was going to get out yeah. and then, then what would his life be like that would be the question right right nothing nothing easy was lying ahead but no. uh, but there was there was hope. Yeah. Well, after uh, he passed away, and of course this was such a big shock and such a big topic on the island that you know not only were you another victim because of this experience, but you were the kind of visible face, the only person people could see who actually had been there and, and knew, and you knew him. So I'm sure people were besieging you with questions. Right, so for the weeks following the incident, uh, since uh, I didn't want to answer the questions mm -hmm. people had, and mm -hmm. there were so many wild rumors flying around mm -hmm. uh, that I, I purposefully uh, laid low yeah. and stayed as much as I could out of community things. So that year I actually didn't go to the school play because I felt at intermission I'd just be mobbed. Yes, you were probably right <laughs> to think that, but that's a, that's a big event. You would have seen everybody, yeah, everybody yeah. there. It's, it's hard to, to miss it, but... Uh, uh, right, as and for myself too. It yeah. was good to... to not be constantly asked. Oh, yes. And I'm amazed uh, still when it comes up without, so I was at a meeting at uh, Holy Cross, which is our Episcopal monastery, Benedictine monastery, up in West Park, New York on the Hudson. And uh, so I was sitting with a few of the monks at lunch and uh, one of them said, well, where is your church? I said, Shelter Island. Oh, oh, that's where Father oh. Wankura, did you know anything about it? Oh, yeah. So it, it's amazing to me how when I, when we go, I go somewhere, and, and they, you don't have any idea of my involvement, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. oh, right. Shelter Island, isn't that where that priest died? Well, yeah. yeah. Well, yes, I mean, first of all, it was a, t a town, a community that had had only one previous right. murder right. and then for it to be uh, a church was, man right. yes so even 
my cousins in Scotland emailed me that had been on the news oh, over there. Oh, my goodness. And they saw my name. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, not, so for, they, not for any happy reason. No, that's that's no. too bad. So well, it was kind of amazing how, yes. how far the story spread. And yeah. I think, unfortunately, for a lot of people, uh, without a lot of contact with Shelter Island, that's, that's all the they association know. now. Yeah, that's now. all they know. Well, you, you said that your first reaction was that it was kind of surreal, and who knows how they would process such right, a, such right. a sight. And then secondly, that you uh, wanted to withdraw and just avoid having to talk about it, all of which is understandable. There must have been stages after that, maybe when it sank in more, when it hurt more. Uh, you know, did you... Did you kind of look at yourself um, as if, if you were dealing with someone else, you would have said that person had PTSD. So did you, were you able to see that that was happening to you? To some extent. I think because I've had a very checkered career. Whoa. And a lot of we it. We may need more time. <laughs> a lot of it, uh, I was a. Uh, Probation officer in the South Bronx oh, wow. with the intensive probation program. I've worked in the prisons, and uh, I was the priest at Kings Park Psychiatric Center. You are a so, tough guy. I, I mean, I'd been in a lot, and for many years, my main work in terms of clinics and starting things was with the AIDS epidemic, the beginning mm. of HIV. Yeah. Uh, so I've you know, I've learned certain coping skills, mm -hmm. uh, but I knew that I had. So I have a spiritual director who I talk with. Oh, that's good. I uh, there is a, 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 a person in the, our diocese whose kind of main ministry is to help priests who might have okay. who are in difficulty or yeah. have had. So she was touching base with me during it. Well, that's good. And uh, my good priest friends. So, yeah, I think I was processing it. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's certainly, you know, in terms of life uh, experiences, it's certainly a tragedy. Oh, God. For me. A trauma. Yeah, yeah. That, that I'll always remember. I, I was thinking to myself that, of course, this was such a shame that it was you, that you had, you know, you were checking on your friend, and this was the last thing you wanted to see was what happened to your friend, and so that's that's going to stay with you. That's a terrible scar. Um, but I was trying to say to myself, was there a saving grace here that Paul must have thought no one was ever going to find him? He must have thought he was close to death and he was alone and no one would find him. So I think it must have been some great solace to him in the next few weeks to know that you had come to him and, and saved him. So, you know, maybe that can help ease some of the pain that you're feeling, you know? Yes, yeah. Um, the, uh, I had another tragedy, somewhat similar, not as... Uh, when I actually was a young seminarian, uh, where apparently uh, I was to meet this young priest and we were going up to a school we were both starting. And 
he committed suicide. God. So he had kind of worked it so I'd be the one to hear it first because I was supposed to meet him. We were going to drive oh. uh, to tell his close friends who were also supposed to go up there. I oh. think that was somehow, it gave me some solace, but uh, this with Paul is like, <laughs> oh. I realized, and you know, Paul's bedroom, where he was laying actually, he had a large, very traditional crucifix. Mm -hmm. on the wall, like large, <laughs> almost like something you'd see in a chapel or a wow. church uh, next to his bed on this wall. And he was laying under that. And Just imagine the prayers that he was right. reciting. Yeah, and it was just such an image of him uh, and his suffering oh my uh, gosh. for me uh, with that crucifix. So, yeah. yeah. That, that, that was not a coincidence. No. So I, I yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think, you know, God's hand was in it. Yeah. You try or to put these all into yeah. some perspective of the story and of, course, of your life. You yeah. can't easily, you know, it's, I was saying to someone, it's more dangerous to come up with easy religious answers yeah. than to just sit with the mystery of it. Yes. You know, easy, oh, well, it was his time or... God must have needed them, or yeah. all those things people say when yes. they don't know what else to say, right. are usually more, it's better to sit with just the mystery of who knows That's why right. this happened. That's right. Or this, what yeah. this, is, this is life. We don't yeah. know. Right. We don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense. We right. can hope that something good comes that in the eventually. End, yeah, it's all, but I don't know. Uh, I, can't, yeah. I don't know no. why. Yeah, no. No, the bromides, uh, don't, they just no. don't cut it. No. And, you know, we've seen the impact uh, around the island. You know, it was a, a place that, you know, I think you called it Brigadoon. You know, it was like this, it is. It's a wonderful, beautiful place. Right. And people never locked their doors. They probably had no keys. Um, I think that that may be gone. I know right. sure, surely in the short term, people were very frightened. Right. Because you didn't know if it was just random, and we still just don't know. We don't know. And it, certainly if it was possible once, it, I mean, it's possible. Anything, yeah. That happened. Yeah. Uh, but I think you were also saying that it, it probably wasn't realistic to think that our Never Never Land could have been no. so you know, idyllic. They have a saying about the moat. They talk about the moat the sometimes, moat, yes. which surrounds the island. Yeah. But there's so many other things um, that we, you know, there's a lot, there's like anywhere else, domestic violence and quite addictions. We have quite a bit of alcoholism. And, right. Uh, there's, um, well, we've had opioid. a number of people die Deaths. of overdoses yes. from opioids. Yeah. But uh, it's kind of layered over sometimes. Yeah, with what I called. I guess because of my Scottish background. Yes. Brigadoon. Brigadoon. You know, this magical place that is yes. kind of... it does seem like that most of the anywhere. time. And it does. Yeah. It is a magical kind of a time warp place in some of the old customs and traditions, but we're not uh, immune to what's... No. We're, we're a real place in the real world. Right. And I think this certainly was a rude awakening to a lot of people. Yes, the worst, yeah. Yeah. And all we can do is just kind of 
take each other's hand and try right. to get through it together. Yeah. You know? Well, I appreciate you coming and talking about this. It just, I wish we didn't have to. I wish it hadn't happened. But as you say, it's life, and you just try to uh, uh, kind of live with it and, and go on. Right. So much, so much good also lies ahead. Yes, I mean, and I believe Paul really, um, Paul was a real man of faith, and at the heart of our faith is what we call the Paschal mystery, the death and the resurrection of yes. Jesus, and that yeah. for our Christian faith, um, life comes out of death. Yes. Even yeah. the worst, that God is present with us in the worst of circumstances. And I, I really think Paul, in those, those days that yeah. he might have been there, uh, I think he probably got to some place where he, he lived into that. Yeah. Because yeah. he was a real man of faith. And so that's why I think when people say, oh, they have to catch whoever did this. I think Paul would really have wanted, he would have wanted justice, but I think, as we would say, restorative rather than retributive justice. So not just punishment, yeah. but a way that whoever got to this point in their life, right. that they got to that time that they did this, would be have some healing themselves try to get onto the right path yeah yes that would be grow. better than I just think that would be punishment i think that's really what paul would have hoped for yeah 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 it sounds like it well thank you so much for this insight no one else could have shared it so i really appreciate it no you're thank welcome. you so much you're welcome Lori finelli is the senior services director for shelter island and we are speaking to her today at uh, kind of the two-year mark after the uh, very frightening and terrible story of the death of uh, Reverend Paul Wankora on the island. And we know that so many people were affected by this. First, the victim, the people who were closest to him, his friends, the first responders. Then there was a ripple effect and people began to feel that it, it had made a change in their sense of safety on Shelter Island. I wanted to ask, what was your experience with senior citizens? I would think that they would have uh, a real sense of vulnerability when this happened. They did. Um, initially, the group was fearful that there'd be another attack or that they would be harmed. Mm -hmm. And um, eventually it evolved to, there was a, just a little concern. And I have to say at the present time, it's maybe out of sight, out of mind. They're not not even discussing it. There's no, no concern. They're not expressing any concern about that anymore. No. But in the, in the interim, maybe in the short term after uh, the crime, were some people uh, taking steps to have a little more security at their house or to have uh, cameras or did you get any uh, questions about how people could be a little safer at home? Well, they didn't, uh, the seniors that we met with were not talking about equipment or anything like that to protect themselves. It was immediate need 
and they were very fearful. Like I said, their their big concern was that somebody might strike their house. Yes. But it was very apparent to us that they were concerned, and they were now locking doors, because on Shelter Island, it's notorious. These seniors were not carrying keys, and doors were open. Well, that was true essentially for everyone on Shelter Island forever. Right, even even keys and cars, that's the same thing. Yes. It was a safe place. But they felt, they did feel harm, and I noticed the first time we saw these people again, they were wearing the keys around their necks oh. and locking doors. Oh, yeah. And I, um, you, we encourage them to talk about their feelings and their thoughts mm-hmm. when they when we meet with them. And I'm talking now more of the people that are over, maybe over 80, the frail elderly that we meet on Wednesdays. Yes, yeah. The others, uh, the younger seniors, 60 on up, um, most of them had a partner, or they had a, they had more freedom with good health and, mm-hmm. you know, the ability to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. But those that were over 80 were many living alone and frightened. Yes. And it was reported by many of the neighbors that surrounded them that they all had their lights on at night. Mm-hmm. All night long, the houses were illuminated. Really, really didn't feel comfortable unless Not they had all. a light on. Yes. Not at all. Yeah. And I can give you one example of the fear. We had this one woman who would come to our day program on Wednesdays. And um, because of the uh, incident, we had the, our telephone reassurance group calling people every day just to make sure. Mm-hmm. And we added people, anyone uh-huh. that we knew where that was living alone. Yeah. So... Um, this poor woman was on our list, but our caller didn't realize that she would be at our Silver Circle pro- Wednesday program, and she called the house, and the line was busy. So she called again later. The line was still busy, and she was very concerned, called us, and we asked our client if there was anyone in the house, and she said no. So what we did was we asked the police to go over to check the house. Yes. And they, they scanned it and went inside. There was nobody there. What happened was the, the phone company was outside working on the lines, and that was the reason why there oh. was a busy sound. Oh. So the policeman came back and informed us and told this client, and she was just so overwhelmed she hugged this policeman and kissed him and thank you you know she could she just couldn't she was just so effusive Mm -hmm. well anyway um that was the first situation but then when it came time to take her home we drive them home um we took her home and i was the driver and she wouldn't go in the house alone Uh um as we were pulling up to the house we saw that there was a truck in the driveway and she didn't expect anybody so that was another fright yes and she you know she just wouldn't she wouldn't go in so we walked around the house it turned out it was one of the men fixing the phones who was checking the connection to the house Uh but she still didn't trust it so we went in, and she held my hand tightly, and oh. we had to check every room of the house yes. to make sure it was fine. Yeah. Um, when she uh, was assured and felt comfortable that it was okay, um, I stayed with her because I could see that, you know, that fear mm-hmm. was still there. Yeah. 
So we checked the windows, everything was locked, made sure all the doors were locked, and I stayed with her until the man had left, mm -hmm. and everything was fine. And she said she would be okay. So we locked the door, left, locked her in the house, yeah. and when I went back to the office, I called her daughter. Mm -hmm. The family came the next day, and they were coming from Connecticut. Oh. Uh, they came back, and they uh, stayed with her, and during that interim that they were there, they had a very, very, very beautiful state-of-the-art uh, security system put in mm -hmm. with cameras oh. and such. Okay. So now we have family in Connecticut and in New York City who can see Grandma. Oh, yes. And they watch her. It's wonderful. Yes. You know, but expensive. And other people hearing of this system, they a few of them on the island have also gotten the same thing. Yeah. You yeah. you know, you don't know whether it's more than you need, but what what price is there on that sense of, you know, peace that you, you know, somebody's safe and you can see them and, you know. Yeah. And, and the good thing for these people is that they can still live on their own with just a little support from you and the community. And without that sense of security, that really could have been just, you know, ruined for them. Terrible. Yeah. Just awful. She was in a, a very early stage of dementia. Uh-huh. And, you know, I, I'm sure her perception was slightly distorted, but it was frightening, and I yeah. think I would be too. And she didn't live that far away from Paul. So, uh, you know. Yeah, so it's, it's not totally unrealistic. I do remember um, working at the reporter the summer after that happened, and uh, in the police blotter, I would see a lot of calls from people in Silver Beach saying, I just want you to know I saw a strange truck, strange person. You know, it, it was helpful to call, but it was also because people were concerned. Sure. They might not have been concerned before. They would have thought, of course, it's a workman, but uh, you don't know now. that it, That's part of the, the pain of it not being solved, is we don't know. The police say that it wasn't random. There was some targeting, but everyone feels some sense of vulnerability if you don't know for sure. Yeah. And I think the fact that the people across the street were robbed and we didn't learn of that until yes. later, yes. was just another reinforcement of fear. Yes, exactly. A and then it became like, oh, maybe it could be me, you know? Right. Who's next, that well, sort of thing. Yes, yeah, and you know, even if you are used to staying alone, if you just have that one little nagging voice that really can maybe just rob you of a good night's sleep. Absolutely. You know, which people need. Yeah, no, there was a lot of fear. Sure. Yeah. yeah, but you do say now it's it's kind of calmed down. Uh, hopefully, you know, crime is is so rare on Shelter Island, um, and people can begin to relax again. I hope. And uh, I would say one of the great things that you offer is so much activity for seniors. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's it's kind of easy to sit and fret if you don't have enough to do or people to talk to. So I yeah. think by filling their days so much, that's a wonderful service that you provide. Thank you. They are busy, or they have <laughs> the options. Right. And I, I think it's I think it's fun. I you know I think of all the people that go to Florida for the winter. We have a lot of activity here. <laughs> you do have a lot of activity. And people that are in Florida say that our network is much better. Oh. You know, from this incident, we have created a program of friendly visitors. 
and that these are people that want, want to relate to other people. And we um, will get their application and we vet them. That means that everybody mm -hmm. has to be approved by the Suffolk County Police Department. Okay. So that's done. And after the vetting, we try to match them according to interest. And these, are, these become really friends that meet maybe once a week, maybe just for coffee, maybe for the house, just to talk. That's um, great. That's really, great. It's, it's really nice. And, and it's, not, it's not just the senior who's benefiting. I mean, there, everybody oh. on the island could, yeah. could use someone to talk to, especially this time of year. Absolutely. Even our, uh, the people that drive for us that are volunteers, mm -hmm. they love it because they meet such interesting people and hear such great stories. Yes. It's, it's really nice. Yeah. It is. It is. I, I think it's one, one of the things that we're very proud of on Shelter yeah. Island. It's, you know, you might hear like people sniping or sending in a nasty letter to the editor, but when it comes down to being a community and being there for each other, uh, we have a lot to feel good about. And and you definitely, and Sarah, uh, Mundy, and mm -hmm. your staff, and all the people who volunteer, I think you're you're providing a, a great, not just a service, but you know something that we can be happy about. Right. You know? Right. It's, it's a, something and, more. Yeah, the fact now that we're, we're without doctors too, I think it's important, and we really kind of sometimes become their resource. Yes, you know where we can triage them. Right. Without you know the other help. Yes. Yeah. And mm -hmm. and you being a nurse that helps so that you can yeah. talk to people and kind of interpret whether they're just nervous or maybe they are feeling a symptom, and you can kind of guide them to get some medical help or. Uh, some support, and uh, we're very grateful for that. Thanks. Yes. Well, thank you for coming and talking with me, and uh, you know, I'm glad to hear that it's not as frightening for the seniors, but glad to hear that some wise and helpful steps have been taken to support.